Today's episode of the Ministry Minded Podcast is proud to be partnered with Anchor Podcasts. Anchor is the easiest way for anyone to make a podcast. If you have a latent idea that's just kind of lying around for a show you would like to record one day, I'm confident that anyone could use this platform to host, record, and distribute your podcast, turning your idea into a reality. Anchor puts everything you need to be successful all in one place. You can start a new recording right from your mobile device. They also have convenient creation tools that allow you to edit your audio files so they sound crisp and great. Anchor also distributes your podcast for you, letting listeners find your show almost everywhere, including Spotify, Anchor Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and several others. And best of all, it's free. There are no hosting fees or monthly subscriptions or minimum listener counts, just an easy-to-use platform to get your podcast out there at no cost to you. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm today to get started. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Ministry Minded Podcast, a show that seeks to marvel at the mercy of God that meets us in our messy ministries. I'm your host, Brad Gray, and this is episode number 20. Today, I'm just thrilled to have on the show Scott Garrison. Scott is a former police officer turned church planter, turned reformed theology apologist, and now is called pastor. At the time this interview was recorded, Scott was still in a holding pattern of sorts between ministries, but since then he's been called to pastor South City Church in Nashville, Tennessee. In this episode, though, Scott shares his story of salvation, how God drew him to himself in a miraculous and marvelous way. We also speak to the realities of growing up in a pastor's home. What happens, do you think, when a PK, a pastor's kid, doesn't believe what they've heard their whole life? And how can growing up as a PK, how can you not read the Bible? I think you'll greatly benefit from our candid conversation as we seek to answer these and many more questions. Today's show is brought to you by the Christian Standard Bible. The Christian Standard Bible offers an optimal blend of accuracy and readability, which inspires lifelong discipleship and helps readers make a deeper connection with the Word of God. To find out more about the Christian Standard Bible, go to csbible.com. Now, for Pastor Scott Garrison. Well, I'll just give you the basics. So, uh, I live in Birmingham, Alabama currently. Um, I am married. I have two small children, two girls. Um, they are uh, most of the time a joy. <laughs> I have a toddler. I have a, I have an almost four year old, and so uh, we are in the middle of of the terrible toddler years. And uh, <laughs> man, it's um, it's uh, it's entertaining. We'll put it that way. Um, it's 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 sanctifying. That's for sure. Um, so I currently work for uh, a company called Iron Tribe Fitness. Um, we are a um, a uh, functional fitness, um, sort of, we, we really, it's more, it's more fitness or it's more lifestyle kind of stuff that we deal with, with our clients than just fitness. Yes, of course we work out, but we also spend a lot of time talking with them about nutrition, lifestyle choices, things like that. Um, it is a, uh, a franchise model business. So we have 43 gyms throughout the country. Um, I am managing one of what's considered to be the corporate gyms here in Birmingham. Birmingham is the corporate headquarters of Iron Truck Fitness. Hmm. So I manage one of the gyms here. I've been doing that since October of last year. Uh, well, actually, I, I should rephrase that. I took over management of the gym that I'm currently at in December of, mm -hmm. la of last year. 
Um, I've been working for Iron Tribe since October. Um, prior to that, we were in Indianapolis where we were church planting. Um, and prior to that, uh, North Carolina, where I was in seminary and we owned a business. And prior to that, Indianapolis again, where I finished up my law enforcement career. Um, so, yeah, that's some pretty good basics. That'll that'll get us started. Yeah, for sure. Now, uh, just as you just mentioned there, you I think you've had quite a different path um, into the ministry. And, you know, as we were talking about, you were working as a police officer for quite a few years. And so um, just kind of talk about how God worked on you. And maybe this is, you can kind of put together also your salvation testimony, too, because I know both of them kind of happened at the same time. Um, and how God brought you from being a, uh, you know, being on the force to now being uh, a minister of the faith. Yeah. Um, so, so my father's a pastor, mm-hmm. um, was actually ordained 50 years ago to the ministry. Wow. Uh, yeah, he was ordained when he was 17 years old. Um, so he, uh, I, I grew up in a pastor's home. My, my parents were missionaries. Uh, we were in Africa in the country of Zambia where my father was a church planter. Um, and so, uh, you know, I grew, I grew up in a Christian home. Um, you know, when I was, uh, when I was eight years old, I remember my father preached a sermon about hell and I just remember thinking, well, I want to go to hell. <laughs> so I, um, I walked, you know, it was, it was a traditional Southern Baptist style church, you know, so there was an altar call at the end of the worship service. And, uh, so, you know, I don't remember exactly my dad. I remember my dad was standing at the front of the church. I don't remember exactly what he said, but he said something along the lines of, you know, if if you need to make some sort of decision or something, I don't remember, but come down front. So I just remember going, well, I don't want to go to hell. So I walked down front and one of the deacons was standing there and, and, uh, you know, he said, what can I do for you? You know, kind of thing. And I said, well, I don't want to go to hell. And, uh, he said, well, then you should pray this prayer. And I said, okay. So I, uh, I, I prayed the magic prayer <laughs> and, uh, and that was it. You know what I mean? Like I was baptized a little, a few, a little while later and I thought, well, okay, well, that's it. So I grew up in a pastor's home and it wasn't until I was, um, out of college and began my law enforcement career. Well, actually toward the end of college, I, I really began to began to question some things. Um, like I, 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 you know, there were times I would kind of like look at myself in the mirror, so to speak, and, and think, I don't, I don't know if I actually believe this. Um, I mean, I, I never read the Bible. I mean, I went to church because that's what, you know, good little Southern boys were supposed to do. <laughs> um, I went to church, but I mean, it was, it was pretty meaningless to me. I didn't really, I just remember sitting there being bored most of the time and, and not having any real, like it was a lot of morality, you know, it was pretty, it was pretty typical. And some of your listeners may, may get upset about this, but that's okay. Um, it was a pretty typical, like traditional Southern Baptist style of, you know, moralism. Um, it was a lot of, it wasn't a lot of expository preaching. It was a lot of, you know, uh, you know, here's this passage of scripture and here's, you know, how we be better based on this. Mm. Um, and so I just was like, this is just, it just felt empty. And, and so I started my law enforcement career when I was 23 and walked away from, uh, anything that even remotely resembled faith. 
Hmm. Um, mostly because I didn't believe it, but secondly, because I was seeing and, and experiencing and doing a lot of, uh, violence, um, as a police officer. Um, I saw a lot of, you know, the, 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 the murders and, the and the shootings and the stabbings and the, you know, just the violence of, of the depravity of, of humanity. And I, and I did, I had no way to like understand that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I drank because nothing else made a lot of sense. Um, and so I drank and drank and drank and drank and pretty much drank my way through my twenties. Um, and then right before my 30th birthday, my sister died suddenly uh, my sister was 17 months older than me. She was 31 when she died. Mm. Um, and that I can look back at that now and say that was the beginning of God calling me to himself. Uh, because it was, I suddenly began to ask questions and, you know, like what's happening around here. You know what I mean? Like, I think I was just sort of like willfully oblivious, uh, before that I would just, you know, if stuff didn't make sense, I just drank until I, until I passed out. And then, Hmm. you know, and then the next morning it really didn't matter because I just had a headache. Um, you know, and so, uh, I suddenly began to ask some really hard questions. I, uh, I, I began to talk to God. I, I, I'm not sure that I would necessarily call it praying as I understand praying now. Mm -hmm. It was more like a lot of rage, um, and some very raw, um, things that I said to God language that I will not repeat on this podcast. <laughs> um, you know, uh, but I, so I, I actually began to go to church again, but I went to an Anglican church. Hmm. Um, I wanted something as far away from the Southern Baptist church as I could find. And I couldn't bring myself to go to a Catholic church. Uh, cause that was pretty much as far away as I could find. <laughs> But I just couldn't bring myself to go to a Catholic church. So I went to an Anglican church and um, I really enjoyed it. I, 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 I enjoyed the liturgy. It was the first time in my life I'd really been exposed to liturgy. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the Eucharist is, is what the Anglican church calls it, the Lord's Supper every Sunday. I'd never experienced that as, you know, growing up in the Southern Baptist church. Um, now, a, a lot of it didn't really uh, mean much, but I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the intentionality of it and this sort of thing. So, uh, I'm still working as a police officer in Alabama. Um, and, uh, yeah, uh, got recruited by, uh, married, actually got married right around that same time to my first wife. Um, got recruited by a police department in Indiana. My parents were back in the United States at that point. My father was working for the Baptist convention of the state of Indiana. So I was traveling to Indiana to visit them a great deal and uh, got recruited by a police department there and uh, packed up and, and moved to Indiana. Never thought I would live in the Midwest. <laughs> uh, but um, about six months after we got there, my wife, uh, my wife left and we divorced about six months after that. And I sank kind of into a pretty dark depression and began to drink again. Um, like 
you know, not drink because I liked beer or because I liked bourbon, but drank to numb the pain. Mm. And, uh, one Sunday morning, I remember I woke up and I thought my life sucks. You know, (laughs) I got to figure, I got to figure something out. And so I Googled churches near me and, um, found a local church and went, and it was, you know, um, a non-denominational sort of baptistic, if you will, uh, Eh, it's kind of a weird, it, like, like a lot of evangelical churches here in the United States, they don't really, they don't really have any theological moorings. And so it was kind of like this, you know, uh, melding of Baptistic and Wesleyan Arminianism. Um, it's kind of, you know, it's kind of weird, but anyway, I, <laughs> totally not my style of church, but, uh, nevertheless, I met two guys there, um, who really began to pursue me. They invited me to a Bible study group. Uh, I was working, um, I was a narcotics detective at the time. So I was working active undercover and plainclothes narcotics investigations. So I looked pretty rough. Um, (laughs) and, uh, but anyway, these guys began to invite me into Bible study groups and I, when I couldn't go, I would still read. So I began to read the Bible really for the first time in my life. Hmm. Um, and was, came to a point where reading scripture that I realized that I was not born again. Mm. Um, actually, had you asked me that question before I came to that point, like I remember reading the story of Jesus and Nicodemus, you know, Jesus saying to Nicodemus, you must be born again. And I remember thinking, what does that mean? Mm. Like I, you know, I claimed to be a, a, a Christian all these years and I didn't even know what it meant to be born again. Hmm. Um, and so I just began to really read the Bible and, you know, was converted through, through reading the Bible. Um, and as far as like the ministry aspect of that goes, I, I was involved with, I, I, I basically immediately upon my conversion, um, I began to do ministry because I, the way I read the Bible, that's what you're supposed to do, right? <laughs> like you're, you're supposed to share your faith. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I immediately, I began a Bible study group for other police officers in my home. Uh, I began to work with a parachurch ministry in Indianapolis um, called Mission Uprising. I began to speak at some of their events and uh, just do like some, I was like a, a they, they'd, go, they'd have these, um, these like weekend long events uh, and you'd have a time of teaching. It, it was pretty typical of a conference. You'd have a time of teaching um, and then you'd break off into smaller groups, like breakout kind of groups. Uh, and there'd be a time of discussion. So there wouldn't be like presentations like at a typical conference, but it'd be a time of discussion in smaller groups. Um, and so I began to lead in some of those, um, and sensed pretty, pretty early on that God was moving me toward something else. Um, not long after that, my wife, Laura, uh, and I met, Uh, we began to date. She was converted through reading the Bible. She had, she was raised Catholic. I bought her her first Bible. Hmm. Um, we read the Bible together and she was converted through reading the word. Um, and, uh, just really sensed that God was moving me to something else. I began to confer with other men involved in that ministry with my father, um, and some other pastors that I knew and just was really looking to, to find affirmation, you know, to say, Hey, I sense this calling, uh, to go into ministry. 
you know, do you affirm that kind of thing? And through a, through a process of asking for a lot of counsel and a lot of prayer that, that was affirmed. And so I began to apply to seminaries and was eventually accepted at, at, uh, at Southeastern, um, in Wake Forest, North Carolina. So I quit my job, 16 years of law enforcement. Mm. And, um, I, I remember, uh, walking into my captain's office and I handed him my letter of resignation and <laughs> he said, what's this? And I said, um, that's my letter of resignation. And he was like, what are you talking about? You know, and he, he used some other words, but he's like, what are you talking about? And, uh, I said, I gotta go. And he's like, why? And, uh, I said, because God said so. And, um, he's like, look, <laughs> I, I don't understand all this Jesus stuff that you got going on, but, man, I, he's like, I can't be losing officers like you with, with the kind of experience that you have. And like, I'll let you do some work and, you know, you can do it online. You can do your education online, please stay. And I was like, no, I got to go. And, um, hmm. cause God outranks you is what I said to him. Wow. <laughs> and he, he goes, he goes, well, fair enough. And, um, <laughs> so we, we packed up, um, what little bit we owned Laura and I, and, um, we put our house on the market and, um, we moved to North Carolina. Uh, we had, we didn't have jobs. We didn't have anything. We, I had no idea how I was going to pay for seminary. Um, we just went and, um, God was gracious to us, a family friend. Um, like literally we were in the process of moving and a family friend, um, sent us a Christmas card hmm. and inside this Christmas card, they put a handwritten note that said, um, we're excited about God's call in your life and we feel like we want to participate. And so we're going to pay for your seminary education. Wow. And they did, they wow. paid for, they, the only thing they didn't pay for, of course, was my room and was our room and board. I, we paid for that. Um, and they, um, they didn't pay for my books. Um, so I, but other than that, my, my seminary education was paid for by this family wow. friend. And so what a blessing that was. Yes. <laughs> So yeah, seminary for, um, for three years. Um, and we owned a business while we were there. We started our own business, opened a CrossFit gym while we were in North Carolina. And just, uh, early on, you know, we got involved in a, in a church there in Raleigh. It was a, it was a church plant at the time called Imago Day. Um, and, uh, pretty, pretty early on, one of the elders approached me about church planting. I didn't even know what that meant. Um, <laughs> I actually had to ask for a definition of what he meant. Um, and he was like, well, you, you start a new church. And I was like, no, 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 I can't do that. And, uh, you know, he's like, sure you can. You, um, you know, you're, you, you have, a, you have a very extroverted personality. You're entrepreneurial. You know, we can give you the theological training you need, so on and so forth. Um, and I said, no. And, uh, and then two years later I came back and said, all right, let's talk about this church planning thing. <laughs> um, and so, um, to make a long story short, we were, um, at the time, there was really only two, uh, sort of church planting organizations that I knew of the North American mission board and acts 29. We were at a Baptist seminary after all. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, North American mission board. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, uh, we went through assessment with the North American mission board. We being my wife and I, um, and we were assessed and approved um, to plant. And so we, uh, moved to Indianapolis, uh, actually before I was even done with seminary, 
Um, that's a whole other conversation. But um, I finished the last of my seminary online. Uh, I think I had like three classes left or something. Um, so we moved to Indianapolis in May of 2015 uh, to plant. So that's kind of uh, there's a lot more specifics that I can go into, but that's a pretty reader's digest version. Well, I thank you for sharing. First of all, uh, I I do want to just jump back to something you said at the beginning, just because I think it's interesting. Uh, I myself am also a pastor's kid, so I kind of yep. knew. Uh, and I could relate to you when you said that uh, I'm a PK, but I don't read the Bible. <laughs> yeah, now, that might surprise uh, some of the listeners that how's that even possible that a pastor's kid uh, doesn't read the Bible. And um, uh, I have always said that a pastor's kid or an, even just a, you know, a person growing up in a kid growing up in a Christian home is in one of the more dangerous positions, uh, just mm. because just kind of like what you intimated. And I felt too, um, you can take a lot of those things for totally for granted and, and you don't even, they don't even impact you anymore. Um, yeah. and like you, I was saved later in life. I was saved at 16 mm-hmm. and I came the same realization, you know, that, uh, I've heard all these stories. I knew the Bible, uh, at least I knew the Bible, like the back of my hand, but it didn't even mean anything to me. Um, it meant as much to me as, you know, like J.R.R. Tolkien or something like that. It didn't have the same sort of impact that it does now. Um, maybe just um, talk about the struggle of being a pastor's kid and then realizing that you don't believe the stuff that your dad has said. And then even after the fact that you realize that God has been now drawn you to that point where all this stuff is. And I know, you know, just reading you and getting to know you that this stuff is verifiably and absolutely true. Um, that's quite a path uh, that I'm familiar with too. So, yeah. Um, you know, the thing about preachers kids and you know, this is like, you, you kind of grow up, um, like kind of thinking in this weird way, like I'm safe, Mm. like it's all good. You know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm the preacher's kid and I go to church and I'm a, I'm a, I'm a pretty good little boy. I mean, I might do some dumb stuff every now and then, but I, uh, you know, I'm a pretty good kid and I mean, I'm safe, you know? Mm. Um, and I think there's a lot of preacher's kids out there that are probably really deceived, mm-hmm. um, that just because they hang out at church and, you know, daddy is a pastor that they, and, and you know, I, I wonder how many pastors are deliberately discipling their children. Mm. Uh, not to like call people out there, but I just, you know, I, I just wonder uh, because I wasn't really discipled much as, mm-hmm. you know, not that, not that the Bible was never discussed, you know, it was, um, but like we had no real, like my, we had like this devotional thing that my parents would read occasionally when I was a little kid, but then that kind of went away once I hit, as best as I can remember anyway, once I hit about, you know, 10 or 11 years old, that just kind of went away. Um, and there, I can look back on it now and go, man, I just don't remember like times of family worship, Mm. um, where we, you know, gathered around the word that the word was read and explained. And, um, you know, we, we prayed together at meals, but that was pretty much it. We didn't really pray together. Um, beyond that, it was like, you know, my, that was in my mind, that was just, you know, daddy's job. Mm -hmm. 
uh, he went to work like everybody else. It just so happened that he worked at a church. Um, and so I had no real understanding of really what Christianity even was like the historical nature of, you know, the fact of Jesus's life, death, burial and resurrection. Like I had no grounding and and I'm not blaming my parents, but you know, I had no grounding in uh, the historicity of the Bible. Hmm. Like there was never any sort of teaching in my life to say, um, like, this is the Bible. And you know what I mean? There was no, like, there was no, there was no express discipleship and teaching. Uh, it was just kind of assumed, I think. (laughs) Um, and so I would say to pastors out there, if you're listening to this, don't assume (laughs) that, that your children know, understand and, or believe. Mm. Um, I think that that's a really dangerous assumption. Yes. If, if you assume that, um, just because, you know, you are in the right place with God and you have all this knowledge and all this understanding that your children do, uh, I think that's dangerous. Yes. Um, so I think I came to a place where, for, for you, like you, you said, a, a place of unbelief where I just realized that I just didn't, like, none of this stuff made sense to me. Hmm. Um, like, it, it I mean, and I was even active in, in ministry opportunities during college. Like I was a youth pastor hmm. at a church out in Colorado for summer and I was lost, dude. Hmm. Like I look back on that now and I just say, man, praise God that he is sovereign and not me. Yeah. Because if it had been, in, you know, based up to me, I was lost. What was I doing as a lost person trying to teach I know other kids from the Bible, which again, for pastors and their families out there, just because your kids have head knowledge of the content of the Bible does not mean that the Holy spirit dwells inside them. Yep. Um, you know, and that, and that they are indeed regenerate. Um, so I think there's a lot of pastors, kids that are probably unregenerate. Well, and, just speaking from my own experience and just like you said, it's, uh, if you've grown up in it, it's a lot easier to sort of fake it. Um, I, like you, I preached many times in my dad's church and youth group and stuff before I was truly a born again believer. And it just goes to show you that if you have at least any sense of familiarity, you can at least fake your way for a little while, but yeah. eventually that'll catch up to you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Eventually, um, eventually the truth comes out. Um, and you can't fake it anymore eventually. Um, so yeah, that's kind of, I would, I would say that about pastors, kids, like, and pastors out there. Like, that's one of the reasons I think that my wife and I have, we spent a lot of time talking about how do we disciple our children? Mm -hmm. Um, because I don't want to come to a place where my daughters are 23 years old, like I was and going, this don't make any sense to me. I think I'd rather drink. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I don't, I don't ever want to, I don't ever want to come to that place where, you know, again, like in my experience, my children are 34 before they even understand what it means to be born again. Mm. 
like I, I don't want that to happen yeah 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 well i totally am on the same page with you there i do want to also touch on this because we've had um you know conversations in the past and just in reading you uh i think we share a similar view when it comes to the ministry and the idea of it being um a lot smaller than people think it is and um there was one piece you put on your blog um by the way it's at preacherinked.com i think big shout out to you um, thank you thank you <laughs> um you wrote a piece on there talking about your dad and obviously in the in the piece but also here you've also talked about how you've had maybe differences with your dad and sure. he is a minister for over 50 years or so um you talk about the idea that he's almost sort of like an invisible minister and this idea has sort of struck me recently with um the fact that um you know people keep um going after uh fame they go after all these sorts of platforms and stuff like that but maybe um Maybe just talk about that for a little bit um, and the idea of being, well, I'm reading this book called The Imperfect Pastor by Zach mm -hmm. Eswine, and he talks about this this great wording of being a fame-shy minister. Just like mm -hmm. Jesus, he was he was, uh, he was uh, fame-shy. He didn't go after uh, popularity. He didn't go after prestige. He was going after the lowly people when he ministered. So uh, maybe speak to that if you, if you can. Yeah, so I would say first and foremost that um, I have fallen victim to that, mm. uh, that desire for notoriety as, sure. much as, as much as anyone. Uh, in fact, you know, my wife and I began to, to talk about this recently. I, I wonder if that's not, that did not, that wasn't the driving factor behind me going into church planting. Mm -hmm. But at some point along the way, if I'm, if I'm honest and I'm confessing to your members here, I began to seek that, that attention, that notoriety, like sure. everybody wants to be the next church planter that, you know, has a book deal, you know, and gets yeah. invited to the conferences. And, and if I'm honest, I think that I fell victim to that too. But specifically, I think one of the things that's inspired me about my dad, and I remember writing that piece, like nobody, my dad's never written a book. He's never spoke at a conference and he never will. Yeah. Um, he's been, faithfully ministering to the people of God for 50 years. Mm. Uh, some of them in the middle of nowhere in Africa, mm. um, people who will never have a name that will be known. I mean, there, that my, during my father's ministry in, in Zambia, uh, he was instrumental in starting over a hundred churches. Wow. hundred. Wow. Like, like uh, now granted those, those hundred churches may only have 20 people in them, but who cares? Yeah. Um, you know, the kingdom impact, the ripple effect of that through the country of Zambia, through the bush there in the Serenji area where we lived, where, you know, when we were there, there was no electricity. There was, you know, obviously things have progressed in, in the last, you know, 20 something years. But, um, you know, there was like nobody had cell phones. Like there was one village that my dad went to and planted a church in that he had to drive for eight hours out into the bush, then get into a canoe and like raft down this river for, uh, I can't remember if it was, I think it was, I think it was he raft down the river for a day and then walk for like three days to get to this village 
And then, and then he was, so he was gone for like, you know, he'd be gone for like, he was gone for like a week just getting there. Um, and so, so that kind of obscurity, like being willing to go to places where your, your name is never going to be known, you know, there's no, there's no star for you, you know, on the wall at Langley, (laughs) you know what I'm saying? Like nobody even knows your name. Yeah. Um, and and then when he when he when he's you know his ministry here in the United States has mostly been at smaller churches. The largest church he ever pastored was there in the state of Florida, um, and um, it was you know during during the winter when all the Midwesterners would come to Florida um, <laughs> yeah. because they wanted to get out of the cold. Uh, yeah. You know the church would swell to around probably five anywhere between five to you know, 600 or so. And then during the regular year, there would be, you know, two to 400 people. So it was a fairly decent sized church. Mm -hmm. Uh, But even, even that, you know, in in the grand scheme of things, you know, his ministry has gone unnoticed, Um, you know, and now in, he's taken a partial retirement. He's uh, 67. He'll be 68 soon. Uh, And his health is, you know, he had a stroke a little while back. And so his health has, has uh, become a concern. So he's taken a partial retirement, but he just got called to be the pastor of a little country church um, here in Alabama where they, they currently live. There's maybe 75 people there. Um, You know, it's a small little bitty church. Once again, nobody's going to know his name. Nobody's going to, you know, there was a guy and what prompted that piece was a story that my dad told me. So when he went to, to meet with this, this little church, I don't even know the name of the church, to be honest with you. Um, he went to meet with this little church, went to meet with their pastor search committee. They contacted him and he was, he was talking with their pastor search committee. And uh, one of the guys in the pastor search committee said to my dad, my dad's name is John, said, John, you probably don't remember me. But 50 years ago, when you were the school president at Fairview High School, you, uh, like that was back in the days when you could pray at school. Um, my dad evidently led some prayer. It was like a school wide prayer or something. And for some reason, something that my father said really struck this man. And he said, and for the last 50 years, I have watched your ministry from a distance. Wow. Um, and I've kept track of you and I've, and I've, you know, and, and I want to tell you that I'm, I'm thankful that you've been faithful. Wow. And I just, I just thought, I wonder how many other men out there like my dad are going to, when they stand before the throne are going to hear, you know, Hey, you didn't have a great platform. In fact, you weren't even on Twitter, <laughs> you know, or, or Instagram or whatever. But yet there will be thousands upon thousands of people yep. who are born again and who are part of the kingdom of God because of the faithful, daily, not noticed ministry of these, quote unquote, little preachers, sure. you know, like my dad. So my dad, now, theologically, we have some we have some pretty significant differences. I'm very reformed. Um, he is not. But nevertheless, my father is a faithful, faithful man of God, and I admire him deeply um, for his commitment to the calling of God on his life 
Mm. I've never seen him waver. Um, I've never, and I, you know, and I've, I've, father, I've never seen something in his life that I would say that was a moral lapse. Mm. Never. And I mean, I'm, I'll be 44 this summer. My, my dad is 67. So for 44 years, I've, I've watched this man's life and I've never seen him waver Mm. ever. And he, and he has told me, I will preach until the day I can't speak <laughs> or until I'm dead. <laughs> um, and, and I, I admire that and respect that so much. Amen. It's testimonies like that, that really strike me, especially the idea again, that he doesn't have a platform. And I think I've shared this with you before elsewhere, or maybe I haven't, but this idea of him just serving God and just sort of a quiet faithfulness is you know, I don't know why, for whatever reason, recently, it's just making such a uh, drastic impact on me and how I view, um, you know, who my neighbor is. Jesus says mm-hmm. to love your neighbor. And that doesn't mean, you know, loving, uh, you know, you know, Joe Schmo one, two, three on Twitter. That means right. loving the, your family that are around you. It means loving your neighbors and leaves loving the community that God has placed you in right mm-hmm. where you are and, even if that means you're never going to be seen, you're doing a greater impact for the kingdom than, you know, someone else can. And um, absolutely, absolutely. I, I keep thinking of, of Hebrews 11 and mm. goes through all those lists of names, you know, and Moses and these, uh, and, and uh, Joseph and all these amazing mm. patriarchs of the faith. And then at the end, I just love at the end because it says, and there was this collective others who mm-hmm. also did amazing things and suffered for God, of whom the the world was not worthy. Mm-hmm. I think about those other people, you know, like an, another guy who served and died for Christ and his name is not remembered. He's just a mm-hmm. part of this others. And I think those are the people, um, like your dad, who will have other people come up to them in glory and say, I watched you mm-hmm. for 50 years and you've made such an impact on me. I think... Yeah. Anyways, it's just made such an impact on me to have a ministry and to have a sort of heart for the gospel that is not seeking after fame, but just seeking after just a quiet faith. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Amen. Yeah. That that fame is seductive, too. It is. Uh, And it's uh, anyway, we won't get off on that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, well, and we can kind of transition then because you, you mentioned that you are, uh, quote, very reformed. Um, yes. I tend to describe myself as uh, moderately reformed. Mm-hmm. I grew up in a Baptist home, and uh, I wouldn't say that I'm a five-point Calvinist, but I do have, um, I guess, more reformed tendencies than my father, um, so to speak. But So if you can sort of um, talk about that and going from a, a Southern Baptist home to sort of an unbeliever to now being in the reformed sort of reforms faith, so to speak. And if you can also, why do you think that reformed theology is so significant for 21st century Christians? Mm. Wow. Because those are all good questions. So, <laughs> um, I actually, when I went to seminary, I didn't even know what the word reformed meant. <laughs> yeah. Um, sitting in a class and I remember this, this young man sitting next to me, he like leans over to me and, and almost like whispers as though it were a secret, you know, Hey, are you reformed? And I'm like, what is that? 
what does that mean? Like, I, and now it's funny because I look back on it. I'm like, because I have a beard and tattoos, you assume you assume that I'm reformed. You must which, be one uh, of those Calvinist guys, right? You must be a Calvinist <laughs> if you have tattoos and a beard. Um, but uh, but I said I don't even I don't even know what that means. And so I went home and you know Googled what is what is reformed theology. I didn't know what that meant. And of course, uh, like most good reformed brothers and sisters. R.C. Sproul is your gateway drug to reform theology. Um, and so I was introduced to R.C. Sproul, some of his work. And so I began to I began to read uh, some of the reformed theologians. And I quickly came I, w- I would read them with like, you know, their book in one hand and the, and the Bible in the other. Because I was like, you know, there's a lot out there that have an opinion mm-hmm. and I'm not really I'm not really interested in your opinion. I want to know if what you were saying squares with the text of scripture. Yeah. And, and the more that I delved into, you know, reformed theology, the more that I began to study creeds and confessions, you know, being raised as a typical Southern Baptist, I had never been exposed um, to any sort of creed or confession. Um, And, and, and then the church that we were a part of there in um, Raleigh and Mago Day is what I would call a Reformed Baptist church. Um, they are both SBC and Acts 29. But there was liturgy that, you know, we recited the Apostles' Creed every Sunday. Uh, you know, there was, there was um, you know, clear expository, um, you know, uh, preaching. Um, there was clear, uh, there was a clear Reformed bent um, to, um, you know, their theology, their practice. And so I just really began to research it and study it. And the more I read the Bible, you know, like I said, in one hand and reformed theologians in the other hand, the more I saw the two as being like, I was basically saying, okay, these reform guys are only, are just repeating what's in scripture. (laughs) Yeah. Um, now, yes, they offer some opinions on it, but nevertheless, they're basically just repeating what is in the Bible. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, uh, I guess sort of the final kind of, there, there were two things like I, I had no understanding of covenant theology. Um, and, and so I began to study covenant theology on my own. Um, you know, I had no seminary classes in covenant theology. I just began to study it on my own. Um, and, and pretty quickly came to understand that, you know, uh, the covenant system in the Bible is the way that God has always um, interacted with humans, Mm -hmm. with his creation. You know, it's always been in the covenantal way. And so, you know, to me, it just, I'm reading the Bible going, well, it seems pretty obvious to me, (laughs) you know? Um, And then of course, like most Baptists, the, the final sort of hurdle I had to cross for me, you know, wasn't, you know, the five points of Calvinism, um, I think those can, uh, those are easily seen in scripture. Um, but, uh, the baptism question was, was one that I came up against. Mm. Um, and like the, the creeds confessions, like I read, uh, I read and, and studied pretty in depth, both the Westminster confession, um, the Belgic confession and the London Baptist confession, uh, I have read the Savoy, but I haven't really studied it, um, in depth. I would like to spend a little bit more time studying the Savoy, but, and then, and then of course the catechisms, you know, the Westminster larger and shorter, and then, um, the Heidelberg, 
which mm -hmm. I really love the Heidelberg Catechism. Mm -hmm. um, but anyway, so um, I just I, I studied in, for myself, and I came to a point where I said, "This, I mean, the, the, those confessions are teaching nothing more than what we see in Scripture." Mm -hmm. So, okay. You know, I was just like, okay, I guess I'm reformed. Um, and, you know, it wasn't a label that I wanted to put on myself. Yeah. Um, I, I remember the first time my dad and I, my dad is not reformed. And we were visiting them in Florida. And I said something about, I don't remember how the conversation came up. Um, but my father and I being who we are, we began to have a conversation about um, eschatology because mm -hmm. That's what you talk about when you're driving down the road in Florida. <laughs> um, and, um, and he asked me my position and I told him I was an, I was Amil and he's like, what? Like it blew his mind how I could possibly be a millennial in my, in my eschatological perspective. And, uh, as far as end times goes. And, and so he, he goes, um, he's like, how are you Amil? And I said, because I read the Bible, how are you not? And he goes, wait a second, are you reformed? <laughs> like it was, you know, what I mean? <laughs> like, like, are you, it, it's it like, when he asked that question, the first thing that popped into my mind was, was he it, like, it like, wait a minute, are you telling me that you're a woman? You know, and it was like, <laughs> it was like weird. It, and I go, I go, well, yes, I would, I would consider myself to be reformed. And he's like, how did that happen? And I'm like, I read the Bible. <laughs> like, I don't understand how you're not. Um, and so my dad's funny. I think he says he's a three point Calvinist. I'm like, I'm pretty sure that that's not a thing. Um, <laughs> but anyway, so, so I came to, to a place where, you know, baptism was kind of the final hurdle for me to cross, to be fully, uh, as one of my friends said, you know, um, to, to fully come to the dark side, that was kind of my final hurdle to cross. <laughs> um, but I think that, I think that the impact of, of the reformed faith in, in the 21st century, I think, first of all, it, it is, it is a great fuel for evangelism. Mm -hmm. Um, contrary to what a lot of, um, people think you know, there's a lot of people that'll tell you, well, you know, if you're reformed and you believe in the sovereignty of God and salvation, then that you don't need to evangelize. Well, that's not true. Um, in fact, most of my friends, um, who are reformed are the most evangelistic people I know, mm -hmm. because I think that as far as evangelism goes, it really takes a lot of pressure off of us. You know, um, our job is to go and tell, to proclaim, and it's God's job to save. And so, uh, it really frees us up, yeah. I think. And the evangelistic fervor of most of my friends that are Calvinistic and or reformed, um, I think really actually far outweighs the evangelistic fervor of many of my Arminian friends. Um, so I think that, um, you know, this, this idea of, of pietism, um, and works based salvation that exists currently now, no quote unquote Protestant evangelical in this country is going to tell you that they believe in works based salvation. But that's practically what they preach. Yep. That's right. Um, and so, so I think that most people now, especially millennials, are finding that to be very hollow mm. um, because they don't want to go to church and be told, like, how to have a better sex life, 
you know, or how to, how to have a better career or how to be well-behaved. I think what they want is truth. Um, because at, at our deepest core, we are worshipers. And so we want to know what it is that, you know, the truth of what we're worshiping. Um, and I think that the reformed faith <clears throat> speaks to that more fully and more biblically, um, than, than most modern day evangelicalism. So mm -hmm. I, th I, I have great hope, um, for, for the future of the reformed faith, especially here in the United States. Um, I think that this is only going to grow and continue to go grow and praise God for it. Um, and, and I think that we're seeing uh, a generation of pastors, um, that are coming out of seminary now, um, and that are getting, and some, a lot of young men, um, that are coming up their youth groups now that are sitting under the teaching of, um, of reformed youth pastors, um, and, and, you know, uh, these reformed churches that are out there. And I think that the more biblically grounded um, our kids are and our young people are, and then as they go into seminaries and they come out and they go into ministry, um, I mean, you, if your anchor is scripture, you can't go wrong. That's right. Amen. So, um, so that's, that's my, that's encouraging to me to see this, this real focus on, on, um, you know, sola scriptura, if you will, to, yeah to use the Reformation cry. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And like I said, uh, you know, I'm not a, a five-point Calvinist by that term, but I I also run into people who, I mean, because I really appreciate my quote-unquote Reformed brethren and my Lutheran guys that I'm friends with. and But I also meet other people who kind of like shun those um, classes or those stripes of Christianity. And they're like, we can't, you know, uh, fellowship with other Calvinists or whatever, or reformed guys. And, <laughs> and then they go and they quote Spurgeon in their sermon. And I want to be right. Like, what are you doing there, bro? Um, <laughs> yes. You're, you're not following along, uh, with your own, uh, sort of principle. Um, I just think that's kind of funny. Um, when uh, that's the type of people I want to educate, like you can, even if you don't, um, follow in line with, you know, the five points. And again, I think the five points are just sort of a distractor of what really reformed theology is. Um, but even if you can't like, you know, say I'm in line with all those, there's so much that you can benefit from by reading, um, guys like, um, well, Calvin and Spurgeon and, um, Beza and like all these other guys of the mm. reform sort of tradition. And for me, which has really impacted me just cause I grew up in a more fundamental Baptist home. And then I was opened up into this world of reform theology. And, uh, I've just really enjoyed reading it just cause I feel a lot more grounded in what I believe. And just like you said, if, if your mm. anchor is scripture, you definitely can't go wrong. Amen to that. Absolutely. Um, absolutely. Now, if with Reformed theology as sort of your basis, um, how has that understanding of the Bible sort of impacted your parenting? Um, I think, um, you know, uh, as a person who is really, um, uh, for lack of a better word, grace-based, I, I always bring my blogs and stuff back to grace and all these mm -hmm. types of things. And people are always telling me, you know, you should talk about something other than that. And I want to know why, but, um, <laughs> um, no, like, uh, as someone who is like that, I think a lot of reform theology is like that. How, how has that informed and how has that impacted your 
parenting, especially of a toddler, as you said, that yeah. you know, you're uh, parenting right now? Yeah, man, that's a great question. So uh, first and foremost, you know, like I said to you, my wife and I have really decided to take an intentional approach to discipling our children. So we are using um, catech- catechisms to do mm. that, um, specifically with our oldest right now. The youngest is seven months old. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, she wants to she wants to crawl and and, uh, you know, eat whatever she can put in her mouth. So she's yeah. but I, I do th- that she's sitting there when we do this. Yeah. And so I think that she's going to because children. The funny thing is, before I had children, I'll I'll just be honest. I really thought children were just kind of stupid. I just I thought children were just kind of stupid. But what I was mistaken about was it's not that children are stupid. It's just that they don't you know, they can't articulate um, and they can't articulate what we can articulate. And the funny part of that, I think, is that actually I think we get a little too carried away with our articulation. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah. but, but nevertheless, um, so like um, so we're, we're really intentional about using catechisms um, with Katrina. That's our oldest name. Uh, but more importantly, because I am reformed and because I believe that God is absolutely sovereign in salvation, um, that lets me off the hook, so to speak. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Now, it, it, it doesn't let me off the hook of being a parent and discipling my child. But what it does do is it doesn't make her salvation dependent upon my my effort. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I know that uh, I can do all things right, so to speak. And she could still be lost. Yeah. I mean, that, I mean, that was my story, right? Yeah. Like my parents basically did all things right. And yet I was an unbeliever until I was 34 years old. But even my own story brings me hope in the grace of God that he is indeed sovereign in salvation. And he will bring to the he will bring those to salvation whom he has chosen. And it's not up to me. Um, And so I don't have to go to bed at night stressed out about, you know what, maybe I did something stupid as a parent that day. Like I, I lost my temper, which I do quite often with my daughter, uh, because she's a toddler. And, um, but I know that no matter how bad I screw it up, um, and and I'm, I'm sure that I will screw it up that, um, that God is first and foremost, God has promised that he would be a God to me and my children. That's what, that's what his word says. Mm. And so I rest on that promise. Um, and I pray that prayer. My wife and I pray that prayer um, many times as we're going to bed at night. You know, God, you have said that you would be a God to us and our children. And so we rest on that promise that you will bring our children to salvation in mm. your time. Um, it's funny. I was praying. I pray with Katrina every night that I put her to bed. I pray with her and I pray aloud. Um, and uh, I was praying with her and I pray for her salvation every night. And she hears me pray this prayer every night. Hmm. And so one night um, I was praying with her and I, and I don't remember exactly how I phrased it, but basically I said something along the lines of, you know, Jesus, I, I asked that, you know, my children would, would come to know you as their savior. And Katrina stopped me and she interrupted me and she said, no, stop daddy. And I said, okay, what's wrong? And I looked at her and she said, I know him. And I said, <laughs> I said, you know who baby? And she said, I know God. And I said, do you? And she said, yes, sir. And I said, who is God? And she said, Jesus. And I was like, 
Yeah, wow. that's right. That's awesome. And uh, and I, I said, that's right, baby. Um, and then, of course, I asked her some catechism questions because that led me into that. And yeah. she and she, you know, I, I was like, I said, well, you know, who is God? And she's and we're going to the New City Catechism with her. And, and she was like, he's the creator of everything and everyone. And I said, that's right. And, uh, you know, and so so that gives me great comfort, like as a parent, as a father, it gives me great comfort to know that, yes, of course, I pray for the salvation of my children. Um, and as a pedo Baptist, um, you know, I, my children, they are, they are not yet, but they will be baptized. Um, so as we're, we're working through the membership process at our, at our church here, but I know that baptism won't save them. Mm -hmm. Um, even if it were quote unquote believers baptism, it's still not yeah. going to save them. Yeah. Um, but I know that God will save, uh, those whom he has set his mercy on, um, and I assume knowing that God is a God of grace and he, he would have no one, um, you know, spend eternity in hell. My assumption is that God wants to save yeah. my children. Yeah. Um, that, and I see that in scripture. Um, and, and I think that, you know, being reformed only serves that to know that God's purpose is to make for himself a people. Yep. Um, and my assumption is based on his covenant promises that my children will be included, um, among his people. Um, and so I go into encounters with my children, assuming that they will be, um, in eternity with me, um, you know, not as my children, but as my sisters in Christ, yeah. um, and so, yeah, I, I would say it gives me great comfort as a parent to know that I don't have to have it. I don't have to be perfect because well, I'm, I'm yeah. not. <laughs> well, exactly to that point is the idea that God is sovereign in salvation really frees up the mom and the dad to just do what they're supposed to do and not worry about the results, which is in any role, in any job, that's what the gospel frees you up to do. But if you have that perspective of as a parent, it can really get rid of the um, overarching fear that you're going to, that, that your identity is tied up in your kid's success. Now yes. I'm, I, I, I've heard this a lot. I've seen it a lot and I've tried to, even as a, only a parent, a father of four months, I'm trying not to let myself get caught up in the idea that what she does is reflecting on me and my mm. reputation. Um, mm. and, and I think that's kind of how the gospel informs us and how, how the Bible and, and, and how I would think God would tell us how to parent is that I'm the sovereign one. Just do what you're supposed to do, Absolutely. which is as you're doing, you're discipling, you're, you're, you're bringing your, even, um, you know, a three-year-old, uh, you're bringing her into the scriptures through uh, an easy door, well, maybe not easy, but a, a good door, the catechisms, you're doing your role. You're fulfilling your role. Uh, the results are up to God. And Absolutely. that's, that's the amazing and freeing part about the gospel is that's what it tells us is that he's going to provide the results as long as you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. And you're just, you're faithful to it. And, and yes. it doesn't mean you're perfect, but it means that you are committed to that end. And, um, yeah, I appreciate that a lot. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
Well, and just transitioning again, because I came, um, I came across a, a book you wrote a few years ago. I think it's called Reflections of a Prodigal. Yeah. And uh, I have added it to my Amazon wish list, so I think it's uh, – hopefully I can get a copy soon. But uh, awesome. I, I wanted you to sort of um, – I haven't really read it, but I, I'm intrigued by it just because knowing your story and knowing what God has done in you, I can really see the parallels between you and the prodigal son, so to speak, and the idea of God calling you back home. Um, sort of explain the uh, inspiration and sort of the heart behind uh, that book, if you can. Yeah. Um, so that book came about um, through total accident. <laughs> was not planned at all. Yeah. Um, I kind of was just writing some reflections about some things that um, – God had been teaching me through his word and through some life experiences, a combination of, you know, as things were in my life, bringing his word to bear on it. Um, and, and just kind of looking at that. Um, and so I, I just began to write these little pieces. They weren't long, um, you know, a page or two in length, um, on pretty simple stuff, you know, like, um, I, I did tell the story of, of how I came to Christ Hmm. Um, in that, in that sort of in, in the intro to the book, if you will, uh, because I think that that has importance on how I now view God. Yeah. Um, because up until the point that I came to, to Christ and I came to faith, um, I sort of looked at God as like this cruel tyrant, hmm. you know, especially in the death of my sister. Yeah. Um, because I really truly believed in that moment that he should have killed me and not her. Hmm. Uh, I was the wretch, you know, and, and utterly, utterly depraved and sinful. And like, if anyone deserved death, it was me. Hmm. Um, and yet, you know, my sister was the one who died and I was left living, um, through no fault of mine or hers, you know? Um, but anyway, um, so the book kind of came about just, I began to write these little pieces and I just, I originally, I started, started putting them on, on like my Facebook page. Yeah. Um, and I had a blog site that I was running at the time and I'd post them there and I just really be, I began to get a lot of positive feedback about it. Um, you know, friends who were saying, Hey man, this is right where, you know, I am right now. God is, God is speaking to me through, through what you have said. And I'm like, well, you know, I appreciate that. But, you know, it's not about me, but thanks um, kind of thing. And then some people began to, to encourage some friends of mine, some brothers that were involved in that parachurch ministry, you know, began to encourage me to consider writing a book. And I was like, no, I'm not, not going to do that um, uh, because, you know, I was just like, no publisher is going to take this. Um, and then I found out there was a um, there was the self-publishing arm of wing, if you will, of Thomas Nelson hmm. books. Um, they're in Indiana, actually, uh, their self-publishing wing was in Bloomington. Um, and you could self-publish, you know, your own book. Um, and you paid, I don't remember how much money it was. It was, it was like, I want to say it was probably around $1,500 or something like that. Uh, they did all the artwork, they would do the binding, they would do all this kind of stuff. I was like, Oh, cool. Um, so I thought, well, no, you know, and I don't have enough material and then the next thing you know, I began to count these things up and I had like 30 of them, hmm. 30 of these little like, 
you know, meditative devotional pieces, if you will. Like, um, and so I ended up writing 40 of them. Uh, if you're into numerology, then, you know, the 40 is a big biblical number. <laughs> um, a lot of forties throughout, um, throughout the Bible. And so I ended up writing 40 of these things. Um, and then some buddies of mine there in Indiana, they raised the money and gave me the money. Oh, wow. Um, to, to, to publish this book. And so I did, I thought, well, what the heck, you know, I'm going to go for it. Um, uh, you know, if nobody buys it, that's fine. Um, and, um, yeah, so it's funny cause I can go back now. I haven't even read that in a while. I published it in 2010. Um, so I haven't even gone back and, and read it in a while. I would be interested now to go back and reread it, especially from a theological standpoint now mm -hmm. to see if there's anything that I would have, you know, because I've come to a deeper understanding now of, of some theological issues and some a deeper biblical understanding of some things. So I just, you know, I would like to go back and I don't think there's anything in there that I would say is heretical by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but, um, yeah, I would, uh, yeah, it's, it's just basically, it's, it's, it's a collection of sort of meditative pieces, if you will, sure. of, um, 40 pieces to be exact. Um, so it's called like 40 days of renewal, I think is what it's called. Mm -hmm. Um, and I just, my writing style tends to be very conversational. Like yeah. that book is not academic in, by any stretch <laughs> of the imagination. Um, it's really more of like, you get to, you get to camp out in my head for, you know, a little bit, which can be interesting. Uh, but nevertheless, it's, um, yeah, it was, it was fun to do. It was, uh, it was, it was, it was scary, you know, putting out a book out there with like yeah. your, your personal thoughts in it. Like that's scary putting yourself out there like that. But, um, it's like, what's the worst thing that can happen? Nobody buys it, <laughs> you know? <Yeah>. So, okay. <laughs> Well, that's good. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I've done something yeah. similar. I self-published my own. So uh, I know kind cool. of that like trepidation, I guess, going into it and all. And uh, there's that the same type of fear you're putting yourself out there and, and, and you're, you're trying to remember that the gospel doesn't, isn't worried about my success. So you're trying not to check how many pieces are sold. So <laughs> that's right. I, I actually, I actually didn't keep track of that at all. Yeah. Um, I, I got like, I think I might've gotten two whole royalty checks, <laughs> you know, out of the, yeah. in the last years, I might've gotten like two or three royalty checks and <laughs> I haven't even kept track of it. I have no idea how many copies yeah. have sold. Um, you know, I, my, my dad, uh, bought like a whole, a whole box of them and was handing them out to people at his church. Mm. Um, so that was, that was cool that my, you know, for my, for my parents to be a part of that also. That's cool. Yeah. That's cool. So, well, that's an easy segue then. So what are maybe some other books that you're, uh, currently reading or, um, maybe ones that you have had a very, um, strong impact on you in recent years? Yeah. Uh, great question. So I have a list of books I'm getting ready to read. <laughs> um, I, uh, so right now, what I'm reading right now, I'm reading two things. Uh, I'm reading JC Ryle's book, holiness, which is so good, mm -hmm. man. Like I had heard of this book, but it, man, it is so, so, so good. Um, so if you out there listening, have never read JC Ryle's book, holiness, man, like go get that book and read it. Um, I'm also reading Luther's bondage of the will, um, 
which is, man, I want to have a beer with Luther <laughs> when, when, when Jesus comes back and we're on the new heavens and we're living on the new earth. Like I want to go chill with Luther. Yeah. That, that dude <laughs> is, it was brilliant. Mm-hmm. Um, and a wonderful theologian, um, and has a sharp and sarcastic wit, um, which I dig. And so, uh, I'm really enjoying the bondage of the will it's deep and I'm having to really go slow through it, but I have some others, um, uh, on my list. I'm getting ready to read. Actually, you mentioned Zach S. Wine's book, the imperfect pastor. I'm getting ready to read that. Um, that the whole Christ by Sinclair Ferguson, uh, I'm excited to read that when I got that one in, I read John Flavel's, um, a little Puritan classic recently, um, keeping the heart fantastic. If you haven't read it, I highly recommend it. Um, I would say recently over the last several years, the single most impactful book that I have read has probably been knowing God by J.I. Packer. Mm. Um, I, I had to read it as a signed reading in seminary. And then I went back and I have reread it three times since then. Wow. Um, wow. Packer, man, Packer, that's another guy I want to hang out with. Um, you know, when, when this is all said and done for eternity, I want to hang out with Packer. Um, yeah, knowing God has been, was, was tremendously impactful for me. Just, uh, what does it even mean to know God? You know, and I think Packer is very helpful there. Um, and then how do I experience that? you know, in my own life more fully, what does that look like for me as I spend time in the word, uh, in prayer and in fellowship with other believers while understanding that that's all part of knowing God. But man, that book has been so, so tremendously impactful for me. Mm. Yeah. That's on my bookshelf. It's, uh, next on my, t- uh, to read list, <laughs> man. It's so good. I'm telling you, j- take your time. Yeah. Like don't, don't rush through that. Uh, I literally had to read it in one week in seminary. Wow. Yeah, it was like, whoa, it was like drinking from a fire hose. So that's why I went back. I reread it like three times since then. Yeah. Great book. Well, that's fantastic. And um, well, I guess sort of as we um, transition again, as we close, I would just like to ask this question. I ask this of all my guys, all my guests that come on here is um, this, this podcast is hosted by a coalition of young men called the Majesty's Men. Mm-hmm. Really, what our desire is to is to impact young guys mm. with the gospel and how that informs them and how that uh, teaches them to live. And I, th- if you were presented an opportunity to, um, and you were only allowed to say one thing to a group of an audience of young men, what would that one thing be? <laughs> one thing, really, dude. Um, <laughs> man. Um, I would say, I'm going to say one and one a, okay. Okay. I'll let, I'll let you do that. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Number one, um, pray that God would give you a hunger and thirst for his word. Mm. Um, I prayed that prayer many years ago when I first came to Christ, almost 10 years ago now. And I said, I want to hunger and thirst after you and your word. And God has granted that request, and and I, I I can't put the Bible down. I read it, I read it constantly. So I would say number one, pray that God would give you a hunger and a thirst for His Word and for His presence. And then one A would be 
surround yourself with men who love God, who love his church and who love others and who are some of them in the same life stage as you and some of them older Hmm. and some of them younger. Um, Surround yourself with men who can walk alongside you, who can uh, call you out on your BS, um, (laughs) who can, who can love you enough, you know, to say to you, this is wrong. This is sin. Um, you know, but whom you can also grow with. Um, I think that that would be what I would say for young men, especially young men trying to come into ministry, um, is, is love the word, um, and, and find some men who, who will walk alongside you, um, and love you and hold you accountable. Yeah. That is so important because especially as a seminarian in which I've never been to seminary, but I know some, uh, there's this tendency to be sort of, um, independent and prideful in what you have been taught and what you think, you know, and, uh, there's sometimes a lack of seeking, not just mentoring, but just a, Mm -hmm. you know, surround, like you said, surrounding yourself with other guys, even not even like-minded, but just other men that are, uh, with you that are growing with you. And I, um, that, that's so important. So important. yeah, I would say, I would say part of that one, a, if, if you'll allow me just one second yeah, is, for sure. is, is submission. Yeah. This is a word that we don't like. <laughs> I don't like, yeah. I, I am, I am prideful as well. And so, um, when we surround ourselves with these types of men, uh, we learn submission to one another. Yep. Um, and submission is so important Um, because if, especially if you're going to ministry and you feel that God has called you to shepherd his people, you must learn to submit, um, to the elders that will be around you, the elders who will be over you. You must submit to God's word, to God's people, because it's you're not just leading them. You're submitting to them as well. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that brings along with it, you know, surrounding yourself with those men, like you said, brings along with it, this idea of submission, uh, mutual submission. And the Bible says that submit in love to one another. Um, and so we need to learn submission. Amen. That's so true. Well, Scott, I think we could talk for quite a lot longer. Um, we'll we'll have to, uh, schedule another one of these. So I want to just say thank you so much for your openness and your honesty. And you've been a great encouragement to me and, um, I will greatly, um, enjoy getting to know you and connecting with you uh, as the months go on. (laughs) Sounds good. Thank you, Brad. Thanks again to Scott for taking the time to come on the show today and for being honest and raw with the mercy of Christ. Be sure to follow him on Twitter and go check out his blog, PreacherInked.com. You can find those links and resources in the show notes. And that's it for today's episode of Ministry Minded. Thanks so much for listening along. If you like what you just heard, be sure to give the show a follow on Twitter. And you can also subscribe on iTunes and on SoundCloud. Thanks again to Christian Standard Bible for sponsoring the show and supporting the show. And thank you for your um, comments and for your subscriptions and for your support. I really, really greatly appreciate it. I'll see you on the next episode. Blessings.